Hello and welcome to today's VJ Hemont podcast. Today, we're going to be hearing from experts as they discuss what the treatment-free interval strategies should be included in the management of multiple myeloma, as debated at the 2021 IMW meeting. First up, Philip McCarthy of the Roswell Park Comprehensive Cancer Centre in New York is going to argue against the use of treatment-free interval strategies in multiple myeloma. This International Myeloma Workshop is packed with lots of really interesting presentations and sessions. And the biggest problem I have is just uh, getting to all of them and uh, keeping up with everything that's going to be presented. I'm uh, giving one of the uh, great debates with uh, uh, Luciano Costa, and we are talking about can can we give our patients treatment-free intervals? Dr. Costa is the yes, and I'm on the no. And from my perspective, I don't think we can give our patients treatment-free intervals until we can identify which patients who can stop therapy without negative impact. And so uh, I come from the perspective that <clears throat> we need to continue therapy until progression if it's well-tolerated, and that's a very important caveat. And this is both transplant-eligible and transplant-ineligible patients. We've seen this already with maintenance therapy, that patients who receive maintenance therapy for a fixed duration of time have earlier progressions after stem cell transplant. And now we're seeing with the transplant ineligible population that the continuation of therapy after some form of induction treatment is associated with superior progression-free survival. The major issue that we have is will this translate into an overall survival? And uh, I'd like to refer to uh, an editorial from uh, Dr. D'Souza and Loniel from JCO, which uh, just came out this year discussing the um, eloquence study. And what they showed is that, in this is by Paul Richardson, he showed that, that there was no overall survival benefit, but there are a large number of patients who are still alive 10 years into the study. And so the editorial was what the Princess Bride teaches us about outcomes in multiple myeloma. And to paraphrase, 20 years ago, it was inconceivable that the median overall survival for a myeloma patient would be in excess of 10 years, yet here we are using modern myeloma therapy. And so this points out the great thing for our patients that continued therapy is now improving patient Uh, overall survival as well as progression-free survival, and we have so many options now available for our patients to treat at progression that we now have patients who are living very long periods of time, which is great for our patients. It's hard if you're trying to have an early endpoint, and thus it does bring up my other uh, concern and point that I'll make in the debate that we need to develop uh, early surrogates for progression-free and overall survival. Now, one other important point is that there were two cautionary tales, the uh, checkpoint inhibition in myeloma combined with IMIDs, where the combination of an IMID and a checkpoint inhibitor led to a decreased overall survival despite some uh, progression-free survival benefit early on in in this patient population of relapse refractory myeloma as well as upfront myeloma. And then also the cautionary tale of the use of venetoclax uh, combined with bortezomib dex in that the patients who received venetoclax who were not 1114 translocation patients 
had an inferior overall survival. And there's a, a variety of reasons as to why both of these occurred. But the thing that's very important, we need to realize that we need to monitor for overall survival, but we need to now figure out a way to be able to develop an earlier endpoint to help us guide uh, future studies and trial design. Now, Luciano Costa of the UAB School of Medicine in Alabama is going to make a case in support of treatment-free intervals. At this, I am W. I'm, I have been asked to uh, debate whether or not patients can get treatment-free intervals. And the reason why this is relevant in 2021 is because our field is really anchored on the notion of continuous therapy for a good reason, that we have several uh, essential trials performed in the last uh, one or two decades to establish the, the role of continuous therapy for both transplant-eligible and non-transplant-eligible patients. What I want to highlight is that continuous therapy, however, has several caveats, including increased risk of second malignancy, as has been seen with lenalidomide, the astronomic cost of maintenance therapy. And what I think, however, is the hugest, the, the biggest problem is that the approach of single agent maintenance therapy essentially treats all patients the same, irrespective of their risk uh, of their you know, intrinsic disease biology, and irrespective of the depth of response, because that's how it's done in clinical trials. Uh, so I believe now we have much better ways to choose a long-term therapy for our patients. And the one that is uh, most, uh, I think, instrumental is the assessment of minimal residual disease. Keep in mind that the foundations of continuous therapy were on studies or regimens that had very low proportion of patients achieving deep responses or MRD negative responses. And we know now that with modern therapy, uh, triplets and quadruplets, we have an increasingly high proportion of patients reaching MRD-negative response. And those patients tend to do very well, even in absence of continuous therapy, as has been demonstrated, for example, in the IFM 2009 study, uh, where patients receive only one year of maintenance therapy. And most recently, we have also seen that on the PART-2 of Cassiopeia trial, where patients who had a quadruple induction and consolidation followed by no maintenance had an outstanding long-term uh, uh, outcome that was not improved with the addition of uh, continuous therapy. Uh, so I believe we, in the future, we got to be able to uh, really look at those patients who are uh, deep responders. That's going to be an increasingly higher proportion of patients and really ask the escalation questions if those patients um, can do just as well uh, without the burden of maintenance therapy. The other part that, part that is very important is we have a bad habit of only uh, emphasizing uh, progression-free survival. And as long as the only thing we measure is progression, um, it's going to it's. Uh, uh, it very, it's going to be very difficult to demonstrate that there's any particular subset that does not benefit from maintenance therapy. So the burden uh, uh, of uh, continuous therapy has to be taken consideration. So we need to look at outcomes that include you know, quality of life uh, and uh, cost of therapy. 
uh, otherwise uh, makes it a very uh, a very difficult case for uh, interruption therapy. Uh, moreover, uh, the uh, the downside of maintenance therapy would evidently be uh, of skipping maintenance therapy would evidently be the risk of uh, early progression. So I think we have mitigating strategies uh, that are available to us in 2021, uh, including the closed monitoring of disease. Uh, by MRD and hopefully in the near future by uh, no invasive methods of MRD uh, that I believe will be able to show that can uh, follow those patients and allow re preemptive reintroduction of therapy without patient experiencing a full-blown progression. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Follow us on Twitter at VJHemalt to share your thoughts on the topics discussed. Visit vjhemalt.com for the latest updates on cutting-edge research in the field of multiple myeloma directly from the experts themselves. Finally, be sure to subscribe to VJ Hemalt podcasts, which are available on Spotify, Apple and Podbeam.